Hello and welcome back to the Bird Elite Podcast. Um, I'm your host Brett and today I think that we're going to talk a little bit about upland bird hunting. Now uh, upland bird hunting has uh, quite the history. It wasn't until 1733 that the pheasant appeared in North America when several pairs of black-necked strain were introduced to New York other pheasant varieties were released in New Hampshire and New Jersey later in the 18th century, but not until 1881 when Judge O.N. Denny released some 100 pairs of Chinese reedenecks into the Valley of Oregon. Um, not, that wasn't until then that the pheasant really gained a good foothold in the United States. And ever since then, pheasants have been propagated and released by government agencies, clubs, and individuals and all for practical purposes are established everywhere in the continent that suitable habitat does exist. Now, um, pheasants require weedy fence rows, ditch banks, and brushy woods for escape cover. Pheasant populations have struggled in the U.S. during the 1960s and the 70s due to lack of required cover as a result of agricultural practices. Now, that's uh, pretty interesting because, um, you know, way back in the day, farming equipment just wasn't as good as it uh, it is now. And a lot of product was left in the field um, for the birds to eat. And also, <coughs> sorry about that, but also the use of uh, DEET or Roundup, um, definitely killed more weeds which produced more bugs which the pheasant couldn't eat anymore so there was a problem with that and uh, I believe that humans are really the um, reason why pheasants are not as prevalent as they used to be I used to t I talked to these old timers have hunted pheasants for many years and that's that's they just tell me stories that pheasant hunting in America opening day was like a national holiday and everyone took that day off of work to go pheasant hunting and if you lived in a subdivision there would be six seven houses in that subdivision that had a bird dog or every other house had a bird dog it just was um, a really big thing in the before the 60s and the 70s came around and we, we lost a lot of those birds. But there has been um, conservation programs in the U.S. CRP that is trying to get vast acres of agricultural areas um, to help the pheasant grow and preserve that habitat and kind of bring them back more. But um, hopefully, hopefully we can learn from our mistakes and bring this great bird back into uh, a vast population. But... Um, but that's just my take on it. Um, now, a little bit about upland hunting and the way you do it and I guess uh, what gear you need and is it affordable and um, what kind of dogs you need. We'll, we'll kind of go through all, all that. Um, but uh, for anyone that's any beginners that are looking to get into pheasant hunting or upland game bird hunting um you you don't have to get the best stuff you know everyone talks to me as a as a guide and they look at this gear i have and what i have purchased to use um and they look at their own stuff and they they don't think it's good enough um in all reality the bird doesn't care 
what brand name is on your jacket. Um, it doesn't really matter. So, um, you know, a lot of people look at bird hunting as the rich man's sport, kind of like fly fishing is like the rich man's uh, fishing uh, area. And it, you don't have to be rich to to be able to pheasant hunt and enjoy the outdoors just like other people. Um, you can do it on the on a budget and you can still get the same results as someone that is wearing fancy branded clothes and boots and have a special dog that's like they paid like 10 grand for um you know it's all trained up and it's perfect because uh you you can have the same results with uh getting your own dog and training them up or her now so i just want to people to understand that this the sport is not uh is for everyone and you can do it on a budget now um there's a couple things that i think you need to get and have before you start upland game hunting is that you need a shotgun of some kind you you need some kind of firearm um there's a lot of popular models out there um, but there's popular gauges as well you know there's a 12 there's a 20 28 16 410 there's many different sizes of shells and uh, i just recently actually um about a half a year ago i did a, a a video on different types of shotguns and the gauges um the 12s and the 20s are the most popular probably for users 12s are pretty popular and the only reason why i think 12s are really popular is because they have a lot of bbs in them and if you're not really a good shot you can shoot uh, a bird and one of those bbs is going to hit it that holds more bbs in that shell um 20 it's going to be pretty heavy though uh, depending on what type of shotgun you have a, a pump semi-auto or a um, over and under or side by side We'll get into that in a second, but the uh, 20 gauges are really nice. They're still pretty, they're pretty small, um, smaller smaller than a 12 gauge. They hold still a good amount of BBs, and they're lighter, so you can carry more of them, and um, so that's always nice. Uh, I personally like the 28 gauge. It's a small caliber. The gun, that uh, 28 gauge gun is typically a lot lighter than a 12 gauge gun, and I don't have to, uh, you know, when you're walking around the field, you know, six, seven, eight, maybe even 10 miles, that shotgun does get heavy after a while. And that's why I like uh, the 28 gauge. And it's a little bit more of a challenge. I'm a pretty good shot. And I feel if a 28 gauge is very uh, sufficient for uh, pheasant hunting, um, but it all depends on where you're hunting too. We'll get, we're gonna get into preserve hunting and wild game hunting, uh, wild bird hunting as well. But, um, you know, as a guide, uh, I, I didn't carry around a shotgun too often because I was taking clients out and letting them hunt. So I didn't really shoot that often unless I was going by myself and take my own dogs and then I would shoot. But um, there's a couple different types of shotguns as well. There's the over and under, like I was saying, side by side. Those are going to be a little heavier, but they're probably going to be their most reliable shotgun. Um, depending on what time of the year you go uh, i've had taken clients out before that were in the middle of winter and when you do that sometimes guns can jam because let's face it most of the people don't use their shotguns every day so they they might go use it once go home and not clean it and that can pose a lot of problems when 
when you go back out there and it might be still dirty it could kind of freeze up a little bit and kind of get sticky uh, in the winter cold and then it doesn't function properly um, pump shotguns are also reliable very reliable and also you know semi-auto lets you shoot three rounds uh, pretty quickly um, but there's like I said there's disadvantages and advantages of everything I personally like the over and under I like the challenge I only get two shots and each barrel usually has a different choke in it. I have a modified and I have a full choke for my second shot. The full choke can reach out there a little bit further but it has a smaller um, pattern size. It doesn't open up as much um, at close range. It kind of sticks together the BBs. But that's just my personal um, liking is the over and under shotgun 28 gauge. Now, now that you have your shotgun, uh, other gear that you may need is some good sturdy boots that uh, I personally like leather ones, uh, waterproof, treated with a, a, a snow seal or something, a waxy stuff to, to keep that water out of your uh, boot. Uh, I like briar proof pants um, and some sort of jacket. Um, if it's warm out, uh, I won't use a jacket at all, but if it's a little brisk, I'll use a light jacket. But even in the wintertime, I'll use a light jacket because when you're walking and moving, huffing and puffing, walking the fields, you do start to sweat and get hot. So I don't like to get too hot by using a big puffy jacket. And you need a bird vest um, to carry your game and your shells. And there's so many vests out there. You know, the briar proof pants and the jacket, you can wear whatever is comfortable, but the vest is pretty important because if you did it on a daily basis like me I really needed a good vest because I was always um, doing it every day but if you're just a you know once in a while kind of guy and you, you know, or, or woman that wants to go hunting and you know doesn't want to spend a lot of money on a vest you can get some pretty cheap vests out there I would say about 30 to 40 dollars and it's all what's comfortable to you. I encourage you to, you know, try them on and, and test them out to see what you like and what you don't like about them. But uh, you definitely need a vest and some sort of hat. And in some states, like in Michigan, where I'm from, I have you have to wear uh, blaze orange. But some states require a certain percentage of blaze orange that you have to wear when you're in the field. Um, at minimum, I would say you want at least 10%, at least a hat when you're out there. And usually all the vests that you get are always usually orange too. They have the blaze orange, safety orange on there. And I, I would say that um, that's all pretty much all you need um, when it comes to shotgun shells to put in your shotgun. Um, I would I would go with, uh, me personally, I would go with probably a six-shot on uh, you know preserve birds uh, maybe even uh, seven and a halves on preserve birds uh, lead you can use on a preserve um, but in, in in the wild I would probably go with like a you know like a four shot heavy load um, steel uh, some states you can't use lead in the field in the, in the wild because um, of lead poisoning and they don't want to get into the ground so uh, steel shot usually you have to use and steel doesn't fly as far as as lead but um, yeah those are that's basically the basic gear that you need but really what you need besides just the personal gear is you need a dog um, I, I've taken out many people and I've heard many people go out 
and they don't take a dog and they can't find any birds and they wonder why the bird the dog is the most critical part piece of equipment that you own um it, it, yes it's an expense and yes it takes a little bit of time to train up a dog and all that good stuff but it's the most critical part that you'll have to have and, and if you're just starting out maybe you can go with someone that already has a dog and see if you like this sport before you decide to get your own dog now um now that we're talking about dogs a little bit what kind of dog do you get now there's so many different breeds out there you know every dog was bred for a purpose you know it doesn't matter what type of dog it is they all have an origin what they were bred to do you know uh, dalmatians were used for coach dogs they would run along the stagecoach or um you know transport wagons back in the day or, or they used to you know guard the the wagon or whatever um you know there there's uh, german shepherds were a shepherd breed for herding sheep you know and protecting the flock uh, now you know you know now they're used for police work because they found that they do that pretty well now you know there, there's many different types of dogs but there's two main classes there's flushers and there's pointers and you have to decide which type of dog you're going to get you know there's different different advantages and disadvantages that i see with both of them a flusher um, would be maybe a lab or a springer spaniel and, and and these dogs will flush the game when you get you know when they get close they don't stop and wait for the hunter so that's why they have to hunt a little closer and it's a little bit of a surprise element you never know maybe when that bird's going to pop up at any time because they're just going to scare it and uh, some people like that surprise um, but you have to have that dog hunting closer to you uh, at all times because if it's too far out in front of you and they scare up a bird you'll never reach it with your uh, with your shotgun because it's just way too far for the for the shot to get to so that, that is one maybe disadvantage and some some people like that surprise and there's nothing wrong with that uh, I personally like pointer breeds, pointing breeds like the German Shorthair Pointer and the Wirehair or the Griffin. Um, these breeds will point the game when they get close. They'll sniff it, they'll find it, and then they'll take on a, uh, a pointing nature pose at the bird. Now, now that bird should tuck in and, and stay still, and that d dog should hold a point on that bird as long as it takes for the hunter to come up and scare up that bird take aim and, and, and take down the bird and then the, and then the dog will go get it um, I personally like that the, the dog can roam out a little bit further and if it's a good trained well-trained dog it will point the bird for you and hold that as long as it takes for you to get there and that's just my personal preference and that's what I use and what I have used and um, and I would encourage you, if you're thinking about getting a hunting dog, assess what type of hunting you're going to be doing and then go from there in choosing a dog. Now, I have asked people why I chose the German Shorthair Pointer, and I picked that because it's the most versatile hunting dog on the planet, in my opinion. That's what they were bred for. Um, the Germans bred these dogs and mixed different types of breeds to get the German Shorthair and they were really rivaled as a do-it-all hunting dog. 
Um, yes, have they used more for upland game than other things? Yes, but you can you can hunt ducks with them. You can use them as a retriever. You can hunt geese with them. You can you know of course the pheasants and the and the grouse and um, partridge and all that good stuff. You can still use this dog for everything, and that's why. And I I like the look of the dog. Um, they have the short hair. They're a good family dog. They don't. Uh, they're, there's always playful. Um, I, I've never met a mean German short hair, but um, and I've and I've raised a lot of them, and I had a really good time hunting with them as well. Uh, and a lot of my customers really liked them as well. So that's kind of like what I would pick for a dog. But uh, obviously, uh, we all have different needs in the hunting arena. If, if you're just mainly a duck hunter, uh, of course, I, I probably wouldn't get a short hair because in the colder water, they might not hold up as well as, a, let's say, a black or a yellow lab. So uh, definitely um, go ahead and uh, re do your research before you go ahead and make that commitment to get a dog because um, they are all a little bit different. And, and what they're used for and uh, once you do get a dog there's you got to train it you know and that's another going back to the short hair the pointing breeds typically will have that gene of pointing already bred into them and they're already ready to go um, for the most part kind of like out of the box hunters and you got to treat you got to teach them to retrieve stuff but th their pointing instinct should be kind of beat into them um, from a young age and that's all you have to do is do a little bit of refining uh, we'll, we can get into training in one of the next episodes uh, from you know this point on but uh, that's not I guess that's not today's um, podcast is just about upland hunting in general and the kind of things you need but we'll get into that in another phase but um, you know going along with dog training and the gear that you need uh, I, I buy collars, uh, electric collars, you know, way back in the day, they didn't have these electric collars. Um, they really just had basic, uh, you had to use it the old school way. You had to use a, a, a rope. Um, you had to, you had to teach by, you know, um, positive behavior and a lot of repetition and some dogs had it into them to listen to you and some didn't. Um, but the collar really brought the dog training world to, um, a much better place and a lot more effectiveness I think with the electric um, collars now a lot of people ask me what kind that I use um, I, I personally would use just a, I like the Garmin uh, series I use a Garmin 550 Pro Plus um, or not the Plus it's just a 550 Pro and it holds up the three three dogs and uh, I've hunted with three dogs at one time and yes it's a blast and I, I couldn't it really even described to you in words how awesome it is to see three dogs running in the field. But if you had three dogs running in the field, how are you supposed to control every single one of them when they all have different personalities and different ways of working the field? And I would do it with, with that collar system. I had a button for each and I can turn the dial for what I wanted, tone or vibrate or shock. Or um, if one was getting out of hand, I might have to give them one a good buzz to have them come back. But um, that's what the kind of cow, but there's so many different brands out there and, or different models of collars. You have to pick the one that's right for you. Um, 
that's what I personally use, but they all have different types of functions. Uh, they want one, one you can get for coon hunting that holds like 16 dogs, or you can get the GPS model that reaches out nine miles and gives you an alert when your dog is on point and tells you the direction and how many yards he is away, which is awesome. Um, and technology has really come forward, but it, it's kind of takes some of the fun out of it, I think. And some of the challenge of bird hunting is keeping your dog in in sight and not letting him just go off and do, do what he wants to do. Um, but it all de- depends where you're hunting as well. Now, you know, with that being said, I, I have that Garmin um, dog training system. I really enjoy it and it works good for me. Now, there there is some things that, uh, you know, I was a bird hunting guide on a preserve. Now, preserve hunting is going to be a little bit different than uh, wild bird hunting. You know, preserves are maybe not as wild. You know, they put birds out in this big field and you go find them after they plant them in there. And they might be a little more um, calm around people and dogs. And you can kind of, they'll kind of stay put and you can get up on them pretty easily and get them up in the air. Uh, it might even take a little bit of, uh, you know, persuasion for to get the bird up in the air. Um, but uh, it can be done. And, you know, that's what I mainly hunted because I had clients that I took out and paid for birds. And, and, that, and that's the kind of groups that came out. But I do know in a wild bird scenario like out west and, you know, South Dakota, um, these birds are wild. You, you, you get there in the morning, you shut the car door and, you know, 200 of them just fly off because they heard the car door shut. So I do know they're a little bit more um, on edge and on alert because they're wild birds and that's that's all they know. And uh, it can be harder to hunt wild birds. But uh, I haven't done that as much. I was, I was mainly a preserve hunter because in Michigan we don't have a lot of wild places that you can hunt pheasants. Uh, you could hunt probably for a week straight and you might not see a pheasant at all. In Michigan, you might see maybe two, maybe one, maybe most likely none because um, we just don't have that uh, wild bird population. So we do have uh, preserves that you can go to. Now, there is like, there's some safety things too you have to remember when you're go hunting. You, so let's just say scenario-wise, you got your gear. You got all your gear. You got your shotgun. You got your shells. You got your vest, briar-proof pants, your boots, jacket um you're all good to go you're all safetyed out you have all your safety orange and you have your dog and you have brought um, a couple of your buddies along for the ride and they're going to go hunting too and they're all geared up too now there's some safety things as a guide that i always told people and i think it's the everyone wants to come home in one piece no one wants to go to the hospital everyone wants to no one wants to get hurt so um, I would always tell my clients that we would all line up in a straight file line, you know, going out to the field uh, side by side and about, uh, I don't know, tw- 10, 12 feet apart. And we would go through the field like that with the dogs in front of us. Um, I would always say keep the shotguns loaded but up in the air with safety on. Always point in a safe direction, and usually that direction was up. Um and at the ready to take down a bird. Now, 
you know, I was I would joke around with my guys a little bit and say my dog's not only worth about you know two hundred bucks, but once you shoot him, he's worth about ten grand. You know, and, and usually people you know got a little chuckle, but I'm like, no, I'm serious. Don't don't shoot my dog. <laughs> you know, because I've had my dog shot before, and you know, obviously nothing major happened. It was a, a few BBs that might have hit him, but you know, because they were far away. But at the end of the day, that that was my important my important aspect or. Um, important thing in the hunt was my dogs and I wanted to keep them safe not as much as me because I was usually behind the hunters when they were shooting uh my dogs were out front so when when people were walking in the field they were they were side by side like I said 10 or 12 feet apart and they were walking down the field and then I would designate one person to to go up and get the bird and kick it up when and scare it up when the dog was not went on point if I were to scare it up I would tell one shooter to come with me and then I would go ahead and scare the bird up and then they could take the bird when it was safe. And I would say clear blue skies. You know, when you see blue skies in your sights, you can go ahead and take the bird because that was usually the horizon was about 10 to 12 feet above everyone's head. So you would have a pretty safe zone to shoot in. Now, that, that from a safety standpoint, that, that's probably the main thing that I would have people do is... Uh, um, what I just explained to you and, and usually everyone stayed safe and if you didn't have a safe shot you just didn't take it there's no point of taking a safe shot uh, or not taking a safe shot in the risk of someone getting hurt or yourself getting hurt um, a bird uh, a bird's just not worth that much there's always more out there you can go find now I've had a lot of close calls when I was guiding um, a lot of kids out there some kids were super safe and some were not uh, some people would come out and they were a little intoxicated. Probably not the best thing either. And I wouldn't take those guys guys out for sure, um, especially you know me and my dogs, um, just for my own safety. And um, but you have to make sure before you go out with anyone if people have shot their gun before and had some kind of hunter safety, um, and kind of review the hunter safety rules with the guys because. When you're out there, and I know the adrenaline's pumping. You see a bird, it pops up, and you're shooting, and, and and like safety is the last thing on your mind because you're new to this whole thing, and the adrenaline's pumping. You're super excited, and b- before you know it's over, and the 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 rush is over, and you're going out for another bird, and you hardly remember what happened. If you pointed a barrel at someone, be like, hey, point that gun somewhere else, and they're like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry, and that's fine, but you have to pay attention to what you're doing. So just make sure you're kind of practicing good, um, a good mental image of what is going on in your surroundings, and keep that thing safe because we all want to come home in one piece now um, we've gone over you know so far we've gone over what kind of gear you need uh, the dog type and and what kind of gear you need for the dogs uh, the dog collars but there's other gear I would suggest you get in your um, for your dogs would be maybe a dog vest these keep briars off and you know keep the dogs safe Uh, I've heard very horror stories and i always put a dog on my vest most of the time depending on where i'm hunting but if it's really brushy stuff i'll put a vest on and i tell you why because it's kind of a sad story but we we had a dog that um was running in the woods and he didn't have a vest on and the dog went straight into a log 
it was sharp and it punctured him stabbed speared him right in the middle of the chest and, and he died um we just couldn't save him uh, it was a big chunk of wood and if he had a vest on uh, maybe a kevlar vest not kevlar vest but maybe a um, neoprene vest or a, a vine um, ripstop vest maybe that wouldn't have happened and punctured his uh, chest uh, with that stick but I always want to keep sure make sure my dogs are being safe and they have the right gear on some people's dogs uh, have soft paws uh, and all the pads might get wore out from hunting too much or on pavement too much when you take them for walks and they might be delicate so some people put boots on their dogs uh, they kind of look funny but they help protect the dog's feet also um, a dog first aid kit you know uh, i always carry one yeah it might be a hundred dollars but you know it's all about them you know they are working the hardest for you um, they're constantly moving around. They're constantly finding birds, smelling things, and in using those tactics to find a bird. And they are working harder than you. Um, they love to do it, and they love to serve, and they like to find the birds just as much as you do. Um, but they're doing most of the hard work, so I've got to make sure that they're completely taken care of. Us. That's why I get a dog first aid kit. And have I had to use it? I, I've actually have. Uh, I had a dog jump a barbed wire fence, and I didn't want him to, but his drive for that bird was so intense that he jumped this fence and didn't make it over. And uh, the barbed wire did cut his stomach area pretty good, and he was bleeding real good. And uh, if I didn't have that first aid kit, he could have bled, uh, bled out. But I, I took the first aid kit, and I used the stapler in there and the gauze and uh, um the ointment and everything and I used the stapler in there to close up that wound and wrap him up and get him back to the house and he was done you know we, we ended that hunt pretty quickly um, kind of a life-threatening situation so I'm really glad that I decided to grab that first aid kit and ever since then I've never gone in the field without it now besides besides the vest and the um, first aid kit and the dog collars uh, I usually had a dog box and that usually went in the back of my truck or a dog kennel for the dog to stay in because you never know what you're going to run into when you're out there, a lot of mud or if it was rainy, yeah, you're going to get, dogs going to get really dirty and I don't really want that in my nice vehicle on the way home if there's no way to clean them off until I get home. So I usually get a dog box to put in the back of my truck. Now there's a lot, you can spend a little bit of money on a cheap plastic kennel or you can spend a lot of money on a nice metal one that um, could cost up to eight, $800 if you really want to or even $1,200, it all depends what you want to do. You can even get a dog trailer, you can spend up to eight, ten grand on one or more custom built. But it, I guess it's all what you want to put into it um, for your dog and how comfortable you want them to be. Um, but I, I kind of just made one out of wood, a big wood box with some doors on it and put a padding in there and a little heat uh, pad in there and they seem to like it just fine. Um, but I'm only telling you this stuff because, you know, I like to spoil my dogs a little bit and get the stuff that they need so they are, are good. Um, I always carry water bottles and a little bowl for them to drink water and usually try not to give them any kind of food when I'm out there. They usually don't want food or water, but I kind of make them drink um, because uh, they're they're working pretty hard. Now, uh, a lot of people, you know, they hunt these birds and 
I, they get these birds and they get done and they're like, what am I going to do with it now? You know, people ask, can you eat pheasant? And you can. They're great. They're really a good tasting bird. They don't have a lot of fat on them because they are a game bird and they're flying or running a lot. So they don't have a lot of fat on them like a chicken does or thick skin like a chicken. But they are really tasty. Um, there's many ways to make, prepare pheasant. I personally, uh, as a as a guy that graduated from culinary art school, I can tell you that I like making like pheasant grilled cheese sandwiches or I like to pound them out thin and I like to bread them in a panko breading with some uh and, and put them in a pan with some light oil or butter and fry them up it's just you can do whatever you want to do with that as you can with chicken i would say it is a like a bird so um like a chicken so you can cook it like one but you just can't cook it too much because you will dry it out and once you dry out any kind of poultry that's i don't know i'm i'm not a fan of it it's kind of gross when it gets a little too uh a little too dry um but anyways, um, so we, we talked about a little bit about upland hunting, obviously, today. And, I mean, you guys can comment or send me a message and, and ask if you have any more questions for me. But I think that's really the, kind of like the basics of upland hunting and kind of what you need. And in later on episodes, we can talk a little bit about more dog training tips and um, kind of products I'd use for that and different shotguns and what I use. But um, for now, I, I think that you kind of have a basic understanding about upland game hunting. And, you know, you know, for, for all the beginners out there, I would say go out there and give it a try. I mean, upland game hunting is not for the rich people. You know, I always hear that. I, there's private clubs where I live, and they're a lot of money to join. And, and the birds are a lot of money to, to buy. And and they have a nice fancy restaurant for people to eat and you can take your family and most people don't even go there to hunt they just go there to sit and have have good drink with the, with the guys and that's there's nothing wrong with that i'm not don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with that but um there's clubs that don't have that they're open to the public and they're just running gun and we're hunting and I, that's the ones i like because i like to hunt i can i i like having a drink with my buddies after the hunt and i like um you know having dinner and cooking up the birds with my buddies but the main thing i'm there to do is hunt and you can do it on a, a budget you don't have to get the most expensive products out there to hunt i want to make that i just want to make that clear because um you know when i started out i got i got pretty cheap stuff and um as i started out in hunting i i didn't have a lot of gear and it took me a long time you know before i got a good job so where i can afford better things and the more that i went out i found you know my gear was probably inferior than other people's because um it had some of the features on that hunting gear that i would have liked to used the next time i went out so i went out and got just upgraded slowly because i enjoyed the sport um, if you just starting out, you might not like up, uh, pheasant hunting, let's say, and you might not want to spend a lot of money, but that's just kind of my take on it. Well, I really hope that you guys enjoyed my, uh, second podcast here. It's been a real adventure for me and I really enjoy doing these, uh, talks and I'm really passionate about bird hunting. And like I said, if there's any questions that you guys might have, um, you know, 
go to Podbean and subscribe to my channel and you can leave some comments and um, it's also on my website birdelete.net um, that they have I have the podcast all listed there for you to download and listen to but uh, feel free to ask me any questions you might have and I'll try to address, address them in the next uh, podcast and we'll go from there but I really appreciate you guys uh, listening in and uh, I'll see you uh, next time on the Bird Elite podcast <laughs>